If you want to turn in your uh, Bibles, uh, your copy of God's Word, to Ephesians chapter uh, 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to keep continuing our study uh, on the church. Uh, last week we looked at, uh, or two weeks ago rather, uh, while I was here, we looked at the equipping uh, of the saints uh, in terms of building each other up. And now we're going to look at the, 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 uh, the other command of going out uh, to the nations uh, to make disciples. So I'm going to read, starting in verse 17 of chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, uh, to the end of the chapter, I'll pray and then we'll dive into God's Word. Ephesians chapter 4, starting verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous, and have given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as, G- as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created at the likeness, after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Having put away falsehood, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, that he may have something to share with everyone, with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, mouths, but only such as, as is to good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, we do rejoice today. Uh, you deserve all the glory, Father. So God, we exalt you. We praise you. Uh, we lift high uh, your name. Uh, you have been so kind and gracious to us. Uh, God, we, as we approach your, your great throne, Father, uh, through the name of Jesus, God, we are reminded uh, of our sinfulness. And God, as we sung how we are redeemed, how we love to proclaim the good news, God, uh, some of us, even this past week, have not shared your truth with one another. Uh, We have been full of anxiety and and fear. Uh, We have feared man rather than uh, delighting in your law. And God, we pray that you would convict us of our sin. And God, that you would forgive us, that you would not hold our sin against us, but that God, you would show us even today again and again of how beautiful um, your good news is that we have been saved and redeemed through the blood of the Lamb, that we have been washed, that we have been cleansed, that we have been justified by the Spirit of our God for your glory. So God, we pray now as we enter in to a time to hear your word, that you would speak to us, that you would cleanse us yet again of our sins, Father, that we would be reminded of the forgiveness that we have in the Lord Christ. Father, we do pray for our city. We pray for the gospel witnesses across our city. 
We pray for Reggie Hopkins this morning as he preaches at Calvary Baptist Church. God, we pray that you would anoint him with the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we pray he, he, he's building up those people who are, who are made uh, to be called to your likeness. So God, use that church as a, as a good gospel witness in the city to bring people to faith. Uh, God, we pray that for ourselves this morning. God, we want to be a church who loves the gospel who sings the gospel, who reads the gospel, who prays the gospel, and who shares the gospel. So God, to that end, I pray now that as I, as I preach, that I may decrease, that you may increase, God. God, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit of God would attend this message and convict the hearts of its hearers, Lord God, that you would grow us to be, to be passionate, to be zealous for the things of God, to be zealous to share your good news with those who are lost, who are darkened in their understanding, who are alienated from the life of God. God, we love you. I love these people. God, I pray that you continue to use us, to prune us, that we would bear much fruit. Uh, we ask that you do that even now. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, it is good to be back, uh, beloved, uh, in, in the house of the Lord um, with God's people. Uh, I'm excited uh, to be able to preach uh, to you uh, this morning. Um, I'm reminded when I was in sixth grade, um, I was part of an elite group of safety-conscious protectors of children, the Lincoln Elementary School Crossing Guard Patrol. Each day at the end of school, we would get on our uniform, draping that bright orange belt across our chest. It was a badge of honor. We had the privilege to leave school 10 minutes early so that we would be in position to usher our fellow elementary school children across the busy roads of Palatine, Illinois. I served my role as a crossing guard faithfully for two years without missing a single day. That is, until I missed my first day. I skipped my patrol duty because I had friends coming over to my house and I needed to get my house ready. Now, I lived directly behind uh, my elementary school, so I remember going up the side of my house, up the deck, and reaching for the door, looking back at my school, and I saw one of my teachers, hands on her hips, staring at me. Busted! <laughs> I got busted for skipping crossing card patrol. I received a detention for skipping my duties, uh, and it just so happened that a few days earlier, there was an announcement made by our principal, Ms. Kevaranta, that any sixth grader who got a detention was not allowed to go to the sixth grade bowling trip, but instead had to write a five-page paper on the history of bowling with the school librarian. So I missed the bowling trip, my sixth grade bowling trip, and I had to write a five-page paper with my librarian that afternoon. To make matters worse, that graduation a few weeks later, all the pictures that they showed to the parents, the families of their children graduating, all the pictures on the slideshow were taken at the sixth grade bowling trip. I was not pictured. Now this may seem like a small deal to many of you, but I, I assure you as a 12-year-old boy, this was a big deal. If you would have told me that if I skipped crossing guard patrol, I would have skipped the sixth grade bowling trip. I would have had to write a five-page paper on the history of bowling with the librarian and missed out being pictured um, in my sixth grade graduation. 
I would not have skipped patrol. See, you must think before you act because there are consequences for every decision we make. We can't live in hindsight. We have to live with the decisions, the consequences for our decisions. decisions. Uh, I think this idea should be very true with our evangelism. Uh, There are eternal consequences for the decisions we make in this life. God gives the unbeliever opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to come to faith in Jesus Christ. But there will come a day when it will be too late for them to turn. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, that there is appointed for a man to die once, and after that come, comes judgment. If people do not turn from their sins and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will be responsible to pay for their own sins. Jesus illustrates this principle when he shares the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. The rich man is begging for mercy from Abraham, and this is Abraham's response, Luke 16. Child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you are a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And the rich man replied, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come to this place of torment. See, Jesus shows that after death there is no hope of salvation without those who have faith in Christ. To see, the rich man realized that. And as he was in anguish, he begged that someone would go and tell his family, tell his brothers about the life to come. And in that moment, in hindsight, the man regretted his decision to not repent and did not want others to make the same mistake that he did. But the story goes on. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Beloved, we must think of our consequences of our decisions before we make them. Even more so, we must consider the reasons why we make our decisions. We must examine our beliefs. We must help others examine their beliefs. For we want people to experience salvation. See, God has given His people, the church, a mission to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This means that we must make disciples of those who do not yet have a faith or a belief in Jesus. We must tell them the way of salvation. So this morning, we're going to look at three different aspects of salvation in the hopes that we would be encouraged to fulfill our mission in making disciples by going into the world to reach the lost. So first, aspect of salvation. We want to look at the problem of salvation. The problem of salvation. If you want to follow along in the bulletin provided for you, flip on the back, you'll see the outline. The problem of salvation. Did he just say that? The problem of salvation? How could there be a problem 
with salvation. See, the problem of salvation is, is for the people who don't yet have it. Salvation is a beautiful and incredible gift of God because of what salvation saves us from. Look in our text again this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul writes, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you... Now Paul was going to speak to believers here. The you was referring to the people that God has already lavished His grace upon, who have been forgiven through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The you means that salvation is now possible for the Gentiles. That's huge. The Gentiles were people who were separated from the life of God. But Paul says, you have the opportunity to be saved. He makes the point in chapter 2, and I read. It says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, remember that you were at one time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But listen, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made, made us both one, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of God's household. So the Gentiles that Paul is writing are Gentiles that have been saved. Those who are hearing it for the first time would have, would have been amazed that they had the opportunity to share in the commonwealth of the people of God. And yet, there are still Gentiles who are outside of the faith. He goes on. He says that you, believing Gentiles, must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now he's going to start unpacking the problem of those who have not yet experienced salvation. And those Gentiles, how they walk without God. Look, hear the problem in verse 17 again. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Do you see how the unbeliever is in a very dangerous state? Their minds are subject to futility, futility, darkened in understanding, ignorance, resulting in a life that is alienated from God due to their own hardness of heart. So let's look at this description more closely. Because listen, beloved, if you're, I want you to share your faith. I want you to tell people about Jesus Christ. I believe that one of the reasons why we don't tell people about Jesus is because we don't really understand the state of the unbeliever. We don't understand how far people are from God. Let's look at the problem. Look what he says. He says that unbelievers walk in the futility of their minds. Futility means empty, useless, fruitless, or ineffective. Now, if I said to you, uh, I, I want to go dunk a basketball, you're like, Pastor, you, you are a, a, an athlete, but I don't think that you can dunk a basketball. I said, no, no, no. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go change into my gym shorts, and I'm going to put on some sneakers. Then I'll be able to dunk a basketball. Beloved, it does not matter if I'm wearing dress shoes or sneakers or a suit or shorts. There is no way that I'm able to dunk a basketball. 
It is futile. It is empty. There's nothing that I can do. Likewise, Paul says, the minds of unbelievers are useless and ineffective in their ability to be saved without Jesus Christ. The end of their thinking will get them nothing but separation from God. Secondly, Paul says that believers are darkened in their understanding. This doesn't mean that unbelievers are unintelligent. Some are incredibly brilliant. But even though they're extremely intelligent, they are still darkened in their understanding. They walk in deep darkness. They may appear enlightened. So that's what our world tends to think, doesn't it? Is that the people who are, who are walking in the world, that Christians are in the dark ages, and that our, our society is enlightened by modernity. We need to shed us, set aside all this old stuff. But the Bible says that without Christ, you will never understand the world rightly because your thinking has been darkened. Thirdly, and closely related, believer, unbelievers are in ignorance. Before coming to Christ, there was no way for you or me to understand the nature of the universe. We were created in the image of God to know Him, to love Him, to live with Him, and to glorify Him. Therefore, if we are ignorant of our very purpose of existence, how can we understand anything else? Ignorance is blinding. And the danger of ignorance is that people are not aware. They're not even aware of what they don't know. So fourthly, Paul says that the mind is futile, darkened in its understanding, ignorance, what will that lead to? Moral degradation. He says the unbeliever give themselves up to sensuality, who are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Notice how we think affects how we live. This is why the gospel is not important just for salvation. It is important for a, a healthy life on earth, a healthy society. You know, I hear a lot of Christians say, when they look at non-believers and the way they act, they say, how can people live like that? I just don't understand. See, and if you ask that question, what you're saying is you don't fully understand the state of the person who is in uh, without Christ. But what about their conscience? Don't they feel bad about what they're doing? See, Paul answered that question for us. He gives the reason for their state at the end of verse 18. Look with me. It says, because of the ignorance that is due them, due to their hardness of heart. He says similarly in Romans 1, 8, 18, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. See, they may feel guilt or shame. Some of you here who aren't believers in Christ, you may feel guilt and shame for the things that you, you do. But you don't always allow those feelings to invoke change in your life. The Bible says is that when we reject, when we continue to live in such a way that goes against our conscience, what happens is that our hearts become calloused, that we start feeling less and less and less when we sin. Sin begets sin. It spirals farther and farther out of control. And what is the end result? A life that is alienated from God. A life that is alienated from God is a life that, hear me, church, is destined for a literal place called hell. I, was recently, um, I recently spoke to a high school student, uh, one of our local high schools, taking a religious studies class. And uh, the, the teacher said that there was no such place as hell, that it was an invention by Catholics to scare 
people into good behavior. The teacher could, be, uh, could not be more wrong. For Jesus repeatedly says that those who will reject him will be thrown into hell. Now I'm going to quote the words of Jesus. I want you to listen to him. Matthew twenty-two thirteen. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness in a place that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, 30. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. Matthew 9, 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. So it will be the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil with the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, 49 and 50. Beloved, hell is not an enjoyable topic to discuss. But it is very real. It is the destination for everyone who denies faith in Jesus Christ. If we don't understand the end of the unbeliever, we will never be motivated to share. The problem with salvation is for those who don't have it. Have you experienced this salvation? So secondly, let's look at the process of salvation. How does one come to faith in Christ? Now remember, Paul is speaking to Christians. After telling of the state of the unbeliever, Paul goes on to verse 20 and 21. But these are some of the greatest passages in Scripture when, God, when Paul unpacks the problem of, of the unbeliever and then he gives them the hope that they have in Jesus. He says to those who, who have made the decision, he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth that is in Jesus. See, Christians had to learn about Christ. They had to hear of him. They had to be taught of him so they would know the truth that is in Jesus. See, there's a way out of futility. There's a way out of darkened understanding. There's a way out of ignorance. And that is the gospel. The blessed gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, in hearing and believing in the good news of Jesus Christ, we are saved. We cross from death to life, from the, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son, in whom God loves. So what is the good news? The good news is that there is forgiveness and life in Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-3. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and now which you stand by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So right now he's going to say very clearly, this is the gospel. He says this, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, and then the twelve. This is what we share to others. We share what Paul shared, that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was raised. The gospel in ten words. 
Now, how, one of the reasons why we don't share the gospel is because we believe that we're not qualified. How am I able to share the gospel? Paul says 10 words. Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was raised. Can you memorize 10 words? Can you, can you share those 10 words with someone who is lost? That Christ died for your sins. He died for your, your, your judgment. He died for you. He was buried and dead, but God raised him from the dead. And if you put faith in him, the same will happen to you. Ten words, beloved. That's it. Christ died for our sin, was buried, and was raised. The gospel. But is sharing the gospel enough? No. We must call people to respond to the gospel. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The idea of, of baptizing is when they respond to Christ. They make a public decision to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. We must call them to response. Go back with me in verse 20. But that is not the way you learn Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And then we see this, this call to do what? To listen, listen to the call of repentance, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Knowledge is not enough. People must repent. They must turn from their sins and trust in Jesus. It's not enough for you to share the facts. You must call them to respond. Any gospel presentation that does not call people to repentance is lacking something. It's lacking the call to to invite them to come to Christ. Now, if you are here today and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you have heard of the, of the bad news, of what, what, what God says in his word, the state of those who do not believe in Jesus. Can I invite you to repentance, to, to put off your old life and to, to trust in Jesus for salvation? You must respond. Beloved, do you see the importance of speaking the gospel? I mean, how many times have, have you heard people say, you know, I, I prefer not to share the gospel, I prefer to live it. That may be admirable, but that's not biblical. What, what, is, what does Paul say in Romans 10, 13? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? Unbelievers are only saved if they call on him. And the only way they can call on him is if they hear him. We must invite people to call on the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot be silent. We must not be silent. Now, can we just say this? It is easy. Uh, for, we should all admit that it is not easy for us to share the gospel. There are a lot of reasons of fear and of worry. We can list them out. But let me ask you this. Are those reasons more important than someone's eternal destiny? Are those reasons enough to keep someone from going to hell? 
We have to remember, beloved, that when we share, it's not bad news. It's good news that one can be saved. Paul says it is, how beautiful are the feet who bring good news. I mean, think about a a doctor going in after a baby has been been born, going to, to look at the father and say, you have a healthy son. There's a, there's a joy that comes with, with that father seeing the one who brings the good news. Beloved, we have the privilege and the opportunity to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who are lost. Can we believe it's good news? Well, lastly, um, we must picture salvation. We're not only called to share it, but we're called to picture it. How we interact interact as a congregation pictures the gospel. You'll hear me say this again and again um, in my ministry here. See, Paul unpacks the, the life of the believer now in verses 25 to 32. Listen, believer, what you are now called to live. The way you are now called to live if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Read with me in verse 25. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Do not be angry. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of his mouth, your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Beloved, this is how we are called to interact with one another as a church. We are called to speak the truth to one another with love, showing mercy towards one another, walking, working, to, to, working to, to, to get money so that we can give freely to those in need. Not slandering, but building them up. See, here's the deal. The world may mock you for your beliefs. They may re- refute your theology. But they cannot dismiss our love for one another. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. By this, all men will know if you are my disciples, if you love one another. So let me close with an illustration of this principle, of someone's personal experience. Jason Helopoulos writes about how the world, the Lord used the strange love of the church to draw him to Christ. Listen. He says, as a freshman college student, I I was a self-declared atheist. I attended a campus, Christian fellowship, to fulfill a promise to a Christian friend. I only had one intention to go once. It was merely duty and upholding my word, nothing more. I went begrudgingly, but I went. My life was never the same. I walked into a room full of Christians and was struck by what I observed. Here was a diverse group. They were from every walk of life. I remember scanning the room and labeling people in my mind. There's a jock. Over there is a geek, walking in the door as a Boy Scout. But what struck me is they were all together. They weren't just together in the same room. They were together in every sense of the word. They were actually talking with each other, 
and genuinely seemed happy to be together. There didn't seem to be a division. Even in my atheist mind, I knew what I was seeing. They loved one another. I had no categories for this. So I kept returning to find out why they had love like this for one another. After the course of a few months, I had found the answer. And more accurately stated, the answer found me. One of the best evangelism programs that you can start in your church is to pursue loving one another well. At some point, they will have to hear the gospel, proclaim from your lips or from the pulpit. But I love this. But the strange love of Christians will set the table before them. It has a gravitational attraction because it's a love that is, not, that is foreign to this world. A love that the inquirer, if seeking an answer, will find comes from heaven. Beloved, we are called to share the gospel with those who are lost. And one of the best ways we can share the gospel is to do what? Is to love one another well. God uses many means to draw people to Christ. But two primary ways are the gospel proclamation and the gospel life in a local church. Beloved, let us be the church that lives out this calling to be a faithful gospel witness in word and deed. Let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, I pray for this church. God, I pray that we would be the kind of church uh, that both proclaims the gospel with our words and lives it with our lives. Help us do this for your glory and for our good. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.